You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Romans 6, we'll begin reading with verse 17. And uh, really, let's, um, let's just read verses 17 and 18 this morning. That'll be our focus in this passage. Romans 6, verse 17, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do pray for your grace this morning, Father. We ask, Lord, that you would be pleased to bless us with understanding. I pray, Father, for grace that I might speak clearly. And Father, we do pray that you would visit us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit, that these words that we hear this morning would be far more than words that satisfy an empty theological curiosity but that these words would really be pressed upon our heart, that you would truly mold and shape us in the likeness of Christ Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, As you see, we have one more message in Romans 6. We've been plowing through Romans 6, and I think I I can say we've plowed through it quite thoroughly and uh, was thinking about moving on to Romans 7 this morning, but there's just one there's, there's one wonderful thing that I think we would profit greatly from seeing in verse, really primarily in verse 17, but in verses 17 uh, and 18. So let, let's just go right there and look. Uh, the first thing you'll notice about verse 17 is that Paul's in the posture of thanksgiving. He's in the posture of thanksgiving, isn't he? He's, he's uh, he, he, in essence, is giving God thanks for the conversion of the believers in the church of Rome is what he's doing. He's giving thanks for for the conversion. And, um, you know, we may stop right there and speak to that for a second. God is um, uh, so gentle, so loving, so kind, and works in many of our hearts in such a way that we're not even really aware of his operations. Uh, All of a sudden... uh, we can find ourselves believing something that we never used to believe. Or you can find yourself embracing something that you're almost surprised that you're embracing. And it happens in such a way that it seems like we're kind of on our own just doing this. And those of you who have been converted in adulthood know a little bit about what I'm talking about. Some of us um, maybe don't even really remember a day when we didn't know the Lord. Uh, That's my prayer for the children. I I pray that they'll never know a day where they didn't know the Lord, that they walk with the Lord all their lives. But in God's providence, that wasn't the case with myself. Uh, I I can remember uh, many, many years where, uh, you know, I was very much walking in my sins. And I can remember as my heart was being stirred, I wasn't really cognizant that God was working on me. I wouldn't have described it that way. I just remember thinking to myself, I should read the Bible. Um, I should study it and see what it says. And uh, as I began to do so, there was just this tremendous curiosity come over me. Um, Tremendous uh, 
interest in the scriptures. And I've shared with some of you, I read the Bible in about six months, the entire entire Bible. And uh, um, really kind of felt like that was all, you know how you just, you get interested in something, you pursue it. And, and I'm the kind of person, when I get interested in things, pursue it, I jump in with all fours anyway. So I didn't really didn't really seem like anything unusual was going on other than I'm reading the Bible whenever I hadn't read the Bible since I was a child. Well, Paul's giving thanks, and he does this in many places, for the conversion of the believer. And um, what I can say now is, as I was thinking that I was going through all of the motions all on my own, God actually had already begun to work. He'd begin to shape. He'd begin to mold. He'd begin to work in, in my life, um, generating that curiosity, generating these, these uh, inclinations that I had. And Paul here, he's giving thanks to God. He's giving thanks. What is he thanking for? He's thanking them that they were once, the ones who were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. Let's look at that in, in its uh, little phrases here. Uh, here we're told that they once were slaves of sin. Titus 3.3 says the same thing when it says, for we ourselves. Uh, in fact, why don't you turn there? It'd be hard to, I have a, a lengthy quote from Titus. that it'll be hard for you just to sit and capture. Turn to Titus. You have 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, chapter 3. We begin on uh, page 998. The Bible is such a brutally honest book. I mean, who would write this about her? Would we write this about ourselves? Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish. We might say that, I think. That's fair enough, right? Yeah, I used to be foolish. I was foolish. I've done some foolish things. But it goes on. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is a description of the fallen human heart here. That's what this is a description of. And the workplace can sometimes verify the, the, uh, the truth of this, can't it? Um, the workplace is an interesting place because it's a place where, uh, whether it be a small group or a large group, it's a place where a group of people who otherwise maybe have nothing else in common are forced to spend a tremendous amount of time together. And that creates for some interesting dynamics, doesn't it? You have radically different values, radically different things, uh, and you're forced to be in, in some cases, a little room together. Um, in other cases, you're forced to rely on each other. And... Um, in varying degrees, we can see this very thing uh, unfolding, can't we? We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions, pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Uh, I think it's helpful for us to have patience for others uh, when we're willing to embrace Titus 3.3. And especially for those of us who've been converted in adulthood, um, you know, without God's grace, guess what? This is a perfect description of us too. And unfortunately, even after God's grace, uh, sometimes um, 
we find ourselves acting uh, in these kinds of patterns anyway, do we not? And that helps us to have patience for, uh, for others. The Apostle Paul, back to Romans, the Apostle Paul is giving thanks. He's giving thanks for the fact that uh, uh, you who w- were once slaves of sin have become uh, obedient. Now, we could pass across those words have become quite easily and really not think much of them, but, but uh, let me just say this again. Uh, Romans 6.17 doesn't describe something that we do. At least this part of Romans 6.17, it describes something that God does. Uh, more specifically, it describes something that God has done to us. So we do well to pay attention to the fact that this, these words have become are passive. Uh, we are passive in this. This is what God has done to us, not what we do ourselves. You don't need to turn there, but just listen to Titus 3, 4 to 7. Uh, just continuing on where we once were. Uh, Paul goes on and continues. He says, when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And I share that quote with you because that describes some of the nuts and bolts, I think as best as we're able to describe the nuts and bolts of this, of what happens uh, when Paul says, have become, we have become. Uh, what happened? This have become. We could use the language of Ezekiel 36, where God says he will gather his people from all the nations. And he says he will give us a new heart. And he will put a new spirit in us so that we'll follow his commands. Uh, how God does that, this is about the best we can do to describe it, is it not? You know, the hymn writers say, you know, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but I now what? I now see. God is thank, uh, Paul is thanking God for this. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient. Notice this. Obedient from the heart. Obedient from the heart. This is not an external change. And I point this out because... Uh, this is not a mere New Year's resolution. You know, this is not a turning over a new leaf. You know, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try something different this year. Uh, or, you know, it's my birthday has come and gone, so I'm going to, you know, starting this new year, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start. Not, not, not that any of that's bad. You know, um, I'm not saying that any of that's bad, but that's not what conversion is. Conversion is this whole, this whole change inside where. Now there's this new inward governing principle that's governing our thoughts. It's governing everything about us. It's a change that's, that's working from the inside out. It's not reformation from outside attempting to get in. In fact, that type of reformation doesn't even work, does it? Not in a spiritual way. Um, so Paul's giving thanks. This is real inward change of values and desires. Now, um, you'll notice that Paul goes on in verse 17. He says, but thanks be to God that you uh, who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching 
to which you were committed. Now, let me say here, I mean, the first point I wanted to make this morning is that there's thanksgiving for conversion. The second point that I want to make is that the believer is not marked by perfection. We're not marked by perfection, but by a growing, what I'll call a growing internal adherence to this standard of teaching. In other words, uh, we're growing in this standard of teaching. Uh, We're not marked by perfection. But there's something here I want to show you in regards to the standard of teaching. Um, Do we have any King James translations open this morning? Anybody got a King James translation? Usually Calvin Maryland, she don't have hers with her. No. It's out in the van. Well, I wouldn't ask you to go get it. I mean, that's, uh, that, that, that's not that important. But if you look at a couple of different translations of this second portion of verse 17 there, namely that the portion that surrounds this, the standard of teaching, uh, there's something very interesting going on there. You might get the gist of it if you compare some translations together. And that actually is a very good way to study sometimes to see some of the, the more subtle nuances that are going on. Uh, but literally what's being said here, Paul is speaking about a type um, when, he, when he conveys this. In the Greek, actually, the word is typos. It's the word we get type from. And um, if you would think of a mold, not like mildew on the wall, but like a mold, like, you know, it's uh, Easter time. The kids want to play. They want to make some Easter candy. So you, you get some chocolate, you melt it, and you pour it into this mold, right? So... The mold might look like an Easter bunny or it might look like something. You pour the chocolate into it and then you wait for it to harden. And then when you pull the, the, the plastic off of the chocolate, what's left behind? What do you have? You have a piece of chocolate that resembles the mold, right? That's what Paul's actually talking about here. Um, that's what he's talking about here. And in fact, it's interesting, if you look at verse 17... He says that, that we have become, the believer has become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were what? Committed. Now, I think we could read this kind of quickly and say, okay, well, um, the standard of teaching has been given to us and committed to us. In fact, we could read that and think that's what it says, just reading it quickly, but that is not what it says, is it? It says that we have been been committed to the standard of teaching. Do you see the difference? It's not like, okay, uh, uh, okay, the book's been given to you. The teaching has been committed to you. No. You have been given to the book. The the mold isn't given to the chocolate. (laughs) What do the kids do? They're not allowed to play with the stove. So mom gets the chocolate going, gets it in liquid form. And then the kids will help commit the chocolate to the mold, right? I think the next thing we need to look at here with those thoughts in mind is what exactly is the standard of teaching? What is the standard of teaching that Paul's talking about? Now, we might quickly say, well, it's the word of God. And if we say that, that's a correct answer. That's a correct answer. But I want to flesh that out a little bit. In fact, I'd like to give you an answer that comes really in three parts. 
The first part is a person. The second part is a series of historical events. And the third part is a divine interpretation of these events. Now, why is that important? Well, let's start with the first, you know, person. And before I even begin here, I want to be sure that everyone understands I'm not preaching. I am not preaching the popular idiom that says, don't give me theology, just give me Jesus. How many have heard that before? It's a well-intended idiom, and it's very it's wildly popular. Um, I am not preaching that. Uh, I, I, I realize it's well-intended, but I vehemently, I don't reject it just a little bit. I reject that idea with all of my, all of my being. Um, we, we can't entertain Jesus without entertaining some form of theology somehow. But let's call that a ditch on one side of the road. There's actually another ditch on the other side of the road that could, although I've never heard it put this way, but it could be put this way. Uh, don't give me Jesus, just give me theology. Now again, I've never heard anyone put it that way. I don't hear anyone say, oh, you know, don't, uh, just, just give me theology, don't give me Jesus. I never heard anyone say that. But I've seen with my own eyes. Uh, folks who actually have been converted from that. They loved theology. They learned theology. They read systematic theology books. They read Calvin. They read Gerhardus Foss. They read all of these guys. Love theology. It's, it's very lovely. It's lovely as a study. It's lovely as an academic discipline. It's lovely as all these things. But yet there's no love for Jesus. It's real possible. Uh, sometimes it can be just, I like to win arguments. And it's worldly and fleshly, and I'm going to win the argument, and I'm going to get real good at this so I can go out and I can beat some people up. There's no love for Jesus, just love for theology. Um, these are ditches on both sides of the road. So I'm not speaking, I'm not, I'm not proclaiming either one of those things. Let me get on to what I am saying. Uh, when I say a person, why would I describe this standard of teaching as a person? I say it because Jesus is the very embodiment of the promises that God has made to his people. What is the gospel? It's God's promise to redeem his people, is it not? And who is the embodiment of that promise? It is Christ Jesus, isn't it? And if you turn back to Genesis, keep your place in Romans and turn just back to Genesis 3, to what we call the first of the gospel promises, Look at Genesis 3 and verse 15. We've looked at it many times. Some of you probably could get a start at it by memory and tell us, uh, write it down and tell us what it says. But, but Romans 3.15, Adam and Eve have, have uh, fallen in the garden and um, God is coming into the garden and he's, he's calling them to account. And he speaks to the evil one in verse 15. And he says to the evil one, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her what? Her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, on that day, the gospel was shared. God shares the gospel with Adam and Eve. And what is the gospel ultimately pointing to? What is it pointing to? The promise of a person. It's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, isn't it? 
And I, Adam and Eve got that. I think it's interesting that when we turn to chapter 4, um, Adam and Eve knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. I don't think it's a stretch for us to read in there. Could this be the one? Could this be the person who's been promised? It's offspring of the woman. Why not? You know, God's going to get right on this and get this, get this turned around. But my point is, the very first promise, it's a promisable person. It's a promisable person. If we turn to Leviticus 26, 12. I choose these. There's hundreds of them, but I choose these because these are verses we've looked at many times. Leviticus 26, 12. Some of you say, man, that sounds familiar. I don't remember what it says. Well, as soon as you look at it, you'll remember it exactly. Remember when we were studying the covenants. Leviticus 26 and verse 12. Page 105. Here's a promise that God makes to his people. I will walk among you and will be your God. And you shall be what? My people. In our Western conceit, in our Western narcissism, in our Western arrogance... We are blind to the jewel that this verse is. I'll tell you why. God says, I will walk among you. I think as Westerners in the United States, I say this for the sake of the tape because not everybody who listens to this is a Westerner. Uh, as Westerners, I think it's practically inconceivable to us that God wouldn't walk with us. Why wouldn't you walk with me, God? Or how about this one? I will be your God. How inconceivable it would be to uh, the, uh, perhaps the average person. I mean no unkindness to this, but how inconceivable would it be uh, that God wouldn't be our God? Of course he's going to be our God. Why, God, why wouldn't you want to be, why wouldn't you want to be my God? I mean, I, I shared one of the things I saw on Facebook with everyone Wednesday night. I'd still reverberate in my head. I paraphrase it this. I'm not perfect, but I am amazing. <laughs> I'm not perfect, but I mean, you read it, it's like, I'm not perfect. I don't know who, I don't even whoever sent it, but it, it kind of says, I'm not perfect. But then, as you, I could sum up what comes after that is, I'm absolutely amazing. I'm not perfect. I'm flawed in many ways. That's the humble part. Then comes the rest. All of these other descriptors, this, I'm just absolutely amazing. Now, if that's what we think, then it's going to be absolutely inconceivable to us that God wouldn't, first of all, walk with us. Why wouldn't you want to walk with such amazing people as us? And secondly, why wouldn't you want to be our God? And of course, we're your people. But see, not everybody who's going to listen to this tape is going to think that way. Because when you go into other cultures, that's not how they look at it. Now, you get to verse, you get to verse 26 and verse 12. And I will walk among you? Really? Is this really God speaking? It's inconceivable that a God would, would walk with us. I mean, that's the idea of dwelling with, the idea of, of having communion with, the idea of being and spending time with. And uh, uh, I, will, I will be your God and we shall be your people. You see, if we don't get the wonder of Leviticus 26, 12, we're not going to get the wonder 
of the fulfillment of Leviticus 26.12. What is the fulfillment of Leviticus 26.12? It's Christ Jesus. God enters time, space, and history through the uh, womb of Mary. And he is born into this world. And the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, walks with us. And he tells his disciples, beginning in John chapter 14, as he's preparing them for his departure, that, listen, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. It's to your benefit that I go, because when I go, I'm going to do what? I'm going to send what? I'm going to send the helper. Who is the helper? The Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit comes to dwell, and he does dwell in all who believe in him, then um, both the Son and the Father are present with us. Is that correct? I will walk among you. I will be your God. You will be my people. You see, it's ultimately fulfilled in a person. The standard of teaching is, the standard of teaching, you see, your Bible speaks of a person. Who is the person that the Bible speaks about all the time? Pointing to, in the Old Testament, pointing to the coming of, pointing to the coming of, pointing to the coming of. And in the New Testament, the unveiling of. Unveiling before our eyes what we have seen with our eyes, what we've heard with our ears. This we proclaim to you that our joy may be complete, says John, in the first part of his first letter. It's the unveiling of a person. It's the unveiling of the person. One more. Isaiah 53, verse 5. Isaiah 53. Page 614. Part of the suffering servant songs. Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. Verse 5 there. I still hear some pages rattling off. Pause. Sounds like they've hushed. Isaiah 53, verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. You all know this one, don't you? Who is the he? Who is the antecedent of these verses? First of all, it's a person, isn't it? Secondly, it's Christ. Isn't it? So what is the standard of teaching? Well, this standard of teaching is a person. It's a person. The standard of teaching, and the whole thing I'm laboring at here, the standard of teaching is not a cold set of propositions. It's not a cold like list of bullet points, of theological points and propositions. That's not, that's not what it is. It's, it's, yeah, it's a person. You know, I might put it this way. It's, it's not a catechism. Although a catechism can be derived from it, and we study this, we're studying the shorter catechism. We have been for a while now, haven't we? But we need to remember that ultimately this is about a person. It's not a creed. We embrace creeds such as the Apostles' Creed and what have you. A creed can be derived from it, but the standard of teaching is a person. So let me move on to my second point. It's a series of historical events. It's a, ster- a series of historical events. These historical events are recorded for us in the Gospels, aren't they? What do the Gospels record for us? 
you know, the, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the coming of Christ. We have the, what we call the birth narratives, don't we? Of Jesus stepping into time, space, and history. They record his life and ministry. They record his uh, uh, crucifixion. They record his resurrection. If we go back to 1 Corinthians 15, which we read this morning. If you go back there, which I gave you a heads up to kind of keep that place somehow. There the Apostle Paul is giving a, a, a real succinct summary of the gospel. And I, want, I just want to show you, like, he's not giving an exhaustive summary of the gospel here, but he's giving a, a shorthand version of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, he says, I would remind you, brothers, and you'll see there's a, many of you will have a footnote there, it'll say, and sisters. Uh, I remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in, in vain. In other words, I'm reminding you of the gospel, right? This is the gospel. Verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all of the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul's giving us a succinct summary of the gospel and he points to a person. But he doesn't just point to a person. He's pointing to a series of events, isn't he? A series of historical events. These aren't mythological. A series of historical events he is pointing to. And we can see from here, my, my third point here. Notice that Paul says, according to the scriptures. Um, verse 3, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ, okay, there's the person, died for our sins. There's the historical event in accordance with what? The scriptures. There's what I'll call the divine interpretation of this person and event. That's why if we said, well, what is the standard of teaching? If we said it's the word of God, well, you'd be amen, A plus. It's the word of God for sure. But I think we ought to go into a little more detail and say that, okay, let, let's break this down. It's a person. It's a series of events that involve this person. And how are we to understand these things? How are we to understand this person? How are we to understand the things that are going on with this person? Well, there has to be a divine interpretation of these things. And Paul's telling us that these things have happened in accordance with what? The Scriptures. There's the divine interpretation. The scriptures. The scriptures. Okay? All right. Jesus, he evangelized from the Old Testament. It would be the Old Testament scriptures, the apostles, uh, the writers of the New Testament. The church has historically now ministered and, and, and uh, evangelized from both Old Testament and New Testament. You can evangelize from both. Right? Okay, let me put all this together. Let's go back to Romans 6.17 and we'll wrap this up. What is happening here? Paul is giving thanks to God that 
the believer, the believers in Rome and believers elsewhere reading this letter uh, were those who were once slaves of sin have now become obedient from the heart to the mold, to the standard of teaching. What does all this mean? What this means is that the believer okay, has been handed over to the Word of God. The believer is actually being poured into the mold. And we might say, well, when does this take place? Well, it takes place in a, in a lesser degree, in a far lesser degree on, on Monday morning when we get up and we begin reading our, our Bibles, you know. Hopefully tomorrow we'll find a few minutes to read the Bible before the day begins. And uh, uh, what, will, what can transpire during that time? Well, God can speak to us marvelously during that time, can He? But the chief and principal uh, time when this takes place is right now. It's right now. What's going on right now? What's happening right now as believers gather and as we study the word of God and as we call on the Holy Spirit to open up the word of God to our hearts and to fashion and form our lives in the likeness of the Bible? What exactly is taking place right now? We're being poured into the mold. You're being poured into the mold. Why are all these changes taking place in our lives and our hearts? Because we're committed to the book, not just to a list of cold propositions. You see how this can go wrong? We can be very committed to the book and have no love for God or for Jesus or for one another or anything else. We just want to be theologically correct. We just like being right. We want to go out and argue with people and we want to be correct. And I'm not suggesting that that's what we're like. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying it's a possibility that we can't. What's actually taking place here? What's actually making these changes? It's the fact that we're being handed over. We're being handed over to the Word. And as the Word is uh, opened to our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are being fashioned and molded into the likeness of the mold. And who is the likeness of the mold? Who exactly would the mold be? He'd be Christ. That's why it's so important for us to gather together. It's so very important for you see if you're not committed to gathering together you're not getting in the mold. You're going to be molded. In fact, if you turn to uh, Romans 12 look at verse 3 or verse 2. What's the first phrase that's in verse 2? Do not be conformed to what? There's a, an alternative mold. And we're going to find ourselves either in one or the other. We're either, going to be, we're either going to be being consistently poured into one mold or consistently poured into another mold, right? We're going to look like what we're being poured into. We're going to look like what we've been handed over to. That's what we're going to look like. Does that make sense? That's why it's so important for us to get together. And it should really fill your hearts. I mean... 
You've been in the mold now for probably 35 minutes or better. And our hearts are shaped as we look down into it and we see the beauty of it. And that's marvelous. I can go on and on and on. I won't. I'll wrap up with that. Okay. Some of you are looking like it's time to wrap up. So that's okay. It is time to wrap up. It is. I understand. (laughs) I'll wrap up. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. For your goodness and kindness, we thank you, Father, that you're so loving and attentive to us that, Father, we, we would be so quick to, to run astray, and we do run astray, but you, you are the good shepherd, and um, you, um, you come and you, you take us, and you bring us back, and you bring us back to the mold, and you consistently and continually commit us to the mold, and you commit us to the mold, and as we come here on Sunday and we come here on Wednesday nights, as we come together and we look into the very wonders and marvels of the person of Jesus Christ and what He has come to do and, and recorded for us in these historical events, and as we look at the, the divine interpretation of these things recorded for us in the Word, uh, Father, we, we thank You and praise You that, Lord, You are continually pouring us uh, into... Uh, the mold shaping and forming us in the likeness of Christ. So, oh, Father, we thank you for these things and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. amen.